I could take one of their best advice around business, but if I was running that through a flawed person, I am not going to get their results or the results of maybe other people they'd mentored. And what I realized was in this process myself is becoming that best version of yourself or even just becoming a better version of yourself a little bit. That was the key for me to unlocking that sense of purpose. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you with me today. And you are in for such a treat in this episode. I've got John Ramstead with me, and he is one of the most amazing people that I've ever met. And I love it when he comes on the show because he shares his story, which is incredibly inspiring and so much wisdom around leadership. And today we're going to be talking about finding your purpose and his new book. I will tell you a little bit about John, but very quickly, I want to remind you that the Masterclass Training Series is coming up again. We start May 6th. So if you haven't signed up, I want you to do so. If you didn't get to participate last time, please make sure you do. It was an incredible experience. We got to Pillar 2, which was the second day of the training, and people were just, their minds were blown. They were like, okay, how how did that happen so fast? So head over to CaptivateTheRoom.com forward slash the number three free and make sure you participate this year. Even if you can't come live to all the episodes, to all the trainings, it's live training and hot seat coaching. You will get the replays. You will get video feedback. I give feedback to everybody who participates. It's really a great experience. I want you to join me. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about John. John was on the show a few years ago I think he was on the show the first year I was in California. I'm going to link up that show in the show notes. And he's so inspiring. He loves combining his experience as a Navy fighter pilot, a Fortune 500 manager, and serial entrepreneur with his passion to help others reach their full potential, all while incorporating the very valuable lessons he learned from surviving a near-fatal horseback riding accident in 2011. Recovering from a severe traumatic brain injury that required 25 surgeries and put him under hospital care for almost two years radically transformed his thinking and forced me to connect with who I was meant to be. John learned how to create his best life and is excited to help you and your team do the same. And I can't think of anyone that has more ability to transform your life, help you create your best life than John. Get ready to hear some incredible wisdom. Let's head on over to the show.
John, welcome back. It's so great to have you with us again today. Tracy, it is so great to be with you again. I always love being around your, just your presence and your smile. Oh, thank you. And I feel exactly the same way about having you here and being around you. It's so great to see you. And I can't wait to catch up on everything that you've been doing and definitely talk about the new book. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about that. This is quite a journey. Well, you always just have so much great wisdom to share with us. And I want to, you know, for those of you that feel left out at the moment, I want you to know that John was on the show about four years ago, and he's absolutely one of my favorite people in life. And I'm going to link up the show that we did before, but I want to start with just a little snapshot. His story is extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And I couldn't do this show without having him share it. I want to talk about the book. I want to talk about the other side of his story, his story where he's at right now. But John, I'd love it if you'd share a snapshot version of what got you here today. There was a big event in your life. Give us a little bit of background on what you did, what happened, where you are now. Yeah, so I had an accident in 2011, and prior to the accident, I'd been uh, in the Navy as a fighter pilot, um, got out in the 90s, had a long career as an entrepreneur in technology and finance, and uh, let's see, I got out of the Navy in 95. So fast forward to 2011, and um, I was starting a new company with some, some great friends of mine, really excited about it, and I was Five months into that, and I get invited to a retreat up in um, Wyoming. I live in in Denver, Colorado, just a small group. And with uh, Dr. Dobson, he'd started a new venture called Family Talk. And we get in on Thursday, Tracy, and on Friday, we're going to go for lunch, horseback riding to the back of this big property and have lunch and get to know everybody. And I'm the first one saddled. I'm sitting on my horse and All of a sudden, he starts trotting out into this big open area, which wasn't comfortable, but then he bolts and he takes off and I'm laying flat on my back and his rump is pounding me in the shoulder blades. And I thought for sure I was going to flip off the back of this horse and get kicked in the head and die. So I did the one thing I could think of, and that was to squeeze with my legs as hard as I could. Now, I don't know if you're a horse person, Tracy, but I didn't know this. I was telling that horse to accelerate. I was telling him to light the afterburners. He absolutely responded. So I get my weight back up in the saddle and I look ahead of me about 80 yards down the road. We're heading straight at a series of steel um, paddocks. And it was clear to the left. So I'm like, okay, I just got to get the horse to turn. He wouldn't turn. And he wouldn't turn and he wouldn't slow down. And every time I tried to get him to turn, he would go faster and then he'd go faster. And I literally started absolutely panicking. I I mean, I've been in combat. I've flown out aircraft carriers at night. I've raised teenagers. Nothing prepared me for that moment. About 20 yards in front of the fence, I just remember everything slowing down and remember thinking to myself very clearly, this is not going to end well. That was the last thing I remember. And then he came into the fence and he bucked so hard, he flipped over and he landed on his side, slammed into the fence, rump first. And when he did that, I went Superman straight into the stop, top steel beam. So I crushed the entire left side of my skull. I broke 
Um, virtually every bone in my skull, except my jaw and my right cheekbone. I broke eight teeth. I broke my neck. I shattered my right shoulder. And uh, to add insult to injury, that next bar down that I slammed into crushed the left side of my rib cage and one of the broken ribs punctured my left lung. So I don't remember that, but I woke up on the ground in more pain than I could even describe. Um, ever, ever heard that saying, um, uh, God won't give you more than you can handle? Yeah. Okay, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you, it is not true. I, I was beyond my breaking point. The pain, the panic, the fear. I couldn't breathe. I mean, mm. it, and uh, I didn't know this, but everybody was holding me down. My head, my, my, my shoulders, my hips, and this was all cut open. So, you know, I felt bad for the people there afterwards. But, and just to put some things, what happened next in context, um, I was in ICU for five weeks and I was transferred to a specialty hospital here in Denver that just works with spinal cord and traumatic brain injury. And I was there for 20 months. I had 23 surgeries, some major surgeries, brain surgeries, craniotomies, reconstruction. But I heard from multiple doctors that what happened to me physically, medically was absolutely not survivable. The brain injury was so severe. And they said, best case scenario, because I broke my neck up high, best case scenario, I should have been like Christopher Reeves in a wheelchair intubated the rest of my life. So I'm laying there on the ground. And all of a sudden, one of the guys said later that um, you just, all of a sudden, I just watched you just relax so completely. It looked like you were sinking into the ground. He thought he had just watched me pass away. <sighs> It was in that moment I was in God's presence. He was standing right next to me. And coming off of him in these waves was this power, but this power was in this unconditional love. And it was washing over me. Like, and it had a physical weight to it. Like if I was at a beach at the ocean and I was right there at the edge and the waves were coming in, washing over my body. It literally was like that. Like I could feel it washing over me. And as soon as I felt it, and I didn't even know how damaged I was. I remember the first thought that crossed my head was, I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this. And then as I felt this and as it was washing over me, all the pain and the panic and the fear just dissipated. It was gone. And then he spoke to me. It was a voice that came from everywhere and nowhere. It wasn't to my ears. It was almost like a consciousness flowing through me, like right here at the sternum, like a, like a river. And what he said was, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And then he said, John, I'm going to heal you and use this for my glory. And then he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it wasn't like a stern voice, which I kind of wondered about afterwards. But as soon as he said that, uh, Tracy, I knew that my left eye was permanently and completely blind, which it is. They didn't even find that out until six months later. But all the bones behind the eye socket had shattered and severed the optic nerve. They actually thought they could save the eye, but <clears throat> that wasn't the case. So I wake up from this, or, or he leaves, actually. And then I opened my eyes and very calmly said, God, sir, you don't have to worry. It's going to be okay. Now, the woman sitting next to me has been a paramedic for 30 years. This woman holding my hand. And she's like, yeah, 
I don't think so. Um, it's going to take an hour. She told me this later, an hour for life flight to get here. And the chances of this guy making it an hour till life flight gets here is about zero. Like she had zero, like she's also a Christian. She's like, this is just not, I'm sorry, it's not happening. And I was in no pain that entire hour, by the way. That's I didn't complain of any pain. Um, I, I was talking. I was actually so, so normal, you know, which is kind of relative for me, um, <laughs> that when they called my wife, they, you know, they called my wife and said, hey, John got thrown off a horse into a fence up here in, you know, Great Falls, Montana. So you're going to need to come up here and bring him home. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, got thrown off a horse, you know, how's he doing? Well, he looks like he's doing okay, right? Well, they get me to the hospital and they do a CT scan and then they call my wife and say, uh, you need to get up here right away and bring the kids. I have three boys. Doesn't look good. Imagine getting that call. Yeah. But here's what happened is um, I should have died that day. I was 45 years old, Tracy. Yeah. And you're sitting there in ICU in this bed, realizing I'd been given this second chance. And I'll never forget those first five weeks in ICU. I had post-traumatic amnesia. A, they're waking you up every two hours. I mean, the, oh. these nurses, that's just brutal. I mean, let me let a guy sleep. <laughs> and they're also giving you, you know, Dilaudid and morphine. I mean, sure. I was in bad shape, but sure. I have three memories that I, can, that I can recall from those five weeks in ICU. And one of them, I'm laying in bed. This is uh, Sunday. I, I'd been told it was Sunday afternoon. So two days after the accident. And this guy walks in. And it says on his uh, lab coat, right? Neurosurgery, Dr. And mm. Gilder. Never forget it. Mm. And he says, hey, we got to do a craniotomy. We got to take your whole skull off. There's so much damage. If we don't fix this and this and this, there's no way you're going to live or even, you know, be cognitive. And he's explaining, it's just my wife in the room. And he's looking at her, telling her about the risks of the surgery. And also shared with her the, you know, there's also a, you know, a distinct possibility that John won't be the person you remember after a surgery like this. I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe it'll be an improvement, but I doubt it. Um, so, but he looks at her, Tracy, this is when it got real and said, Hey, does John have a will? And more importantly, a living will. And we had actually just redone this with our attorney. And I was supposed to sign it when I got back from this trip. And Donna explained that to the doctor. And he said, listen, we can wait till the morning, but no longer. Will you go call your attorney right now? And I want it FedExed up here. And I really need John to sign that before we go into the OR. You're hearing all of this. I'm hearing all this. And Donna's like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I'll go call her right now. And they both leave the room. I'm alone in the room. And even though I just, God just told me he was going to heal me, I was just where I was in that moment. I was convinced that the next weekend was my funeral. <sighs> and I'm just laying there alone with my thoughts. So I start playing the tape. Yeah. And I start first, the first thing that happens, I start thinking about all the nice things people are going to say at the front of the church. But guess what? That's what everybody does. I mean, that's what you do at a church, unless you're a real jerk, right? I mean, come on. Um, and if you're not going to say something nice, we don't invite you. Yeah. But then I started thinking, hey, what would people really say? Just right there at the back of the church when they're rooting around for the fried chicken and potato salad. And, you know, what would they say a year later or two years later? 
what would my kids say about their dad? What would my wife say about me? What would my business partners, what would people I knew in the community would say, oh, what a, what a great guy. What a nice guy. What a tragedy. What was his wife's name began? Didn't, anyway, how you doing, Tracy? You know, how's, I, I was so convicted of this life that I'd led through business and I'd had successes and I'd had things like that, but I'm, but I started thinking of two things. A, my first thought went to, are my, is my family, if I die, are they going to be taken care of? I started thinking of inheritance because that's where you leave two people. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, you know, from that standpoint, I think they'll be okay. But then I started thinking about legacy. And I said, what if, what have I left in people? What have I left in my boys and in my wife and in this world? And a question I asked myself was, had I lived a life so the use of my life would outlive my life? Would it outlive my life in my boys and in my friends and in the world that I had lived in? And I got to tell you, the answer is no. <laughs> and as I recovered and I was seeking, like, what's next? And here's what I found, because prior to the accident, now that I had this ability to almost kind of compare, it was almost like this, this very clear line in my life. Leading right up to the accident, I'd never been working harder. Maybe people can relate to this, 50 to 80 hours a week. I was working with three different nonprofits. I was at every single one of my kids' games. My wife was a stay-at-home mom and homeschooling the kids. I was absolutely miserable. Mm. I was in a place I describe as just smoldering discontent. Mm. I was stressed. I couldn't Mm. sleep well. I was grumpy. I just felt like I should be doing more. What I realized was, is that everything around my identity, my self-worth, who I was, I was allowing to be given to me from external sources, external validation, the expectations of others, my family, my boss, my business partners, the community. And it was like this standard. I call it the tyranny of they, right? What did they want me to do? What would, how would I get their approval? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. I've talked to so many leaders, uh, whether people are of a faith background or not. At some point when I'm talking to a leader where it's a CEO of a Fortune 100 company, a general at the Pentagon or small business owner here, they all say something very similar, as I, um, which is this, is, you know what, what I'd really like out of life. I'd like to live life more fully. I'd like to live life more fully alive. And one guy said, you know what? I just have no idea what it looks like. I have no idea how to get there. I just know I don't have it. I'm like, dude, I get it. (laughs) Exactly how I felt. Yeah. And so what happened was, as I recovered, I, I knew that I had a chance to completely rewrite my script. I was given this amazing second chance. And I never saw it as a burden. I saw it as this amazing gift because I got to still be a father and a husband and I got to be in this world and I shouldn't be here. So what do you do with that? And I got excited. I was more like Tigger than Eeyore. 
right? It's, it's also kind of my nature, right? Um, <laughs> I love that analogy. <laughs> and so, but here's, you know, looking at this whole thing, here's what I realized was um, before the accident, I was always seeking a sense of purpose. I wanted my, you know, I was always seeking to have good relationships to serve people. And I really feel that everybody in the world, I've worked all over the world and every different possible culture and do today. Here's what I've seen about people. People, uh, they're good people. They have good hearts. They want to be liked and they want to do meaningful work. Right. They want to have that, I believe, a sense of purpose. And I didn't have that. And I felt like I was doing all of the work. I was doing, doing, doing um, to compensate for that. And I could never connect to what that purpose or calling was. And I felt like for me, like either I wasn't worthy or I didn't have the right tools. Like this was buried treasure and I was on this quest and it was hidden. And what I realized as I was recovering, and here's something interesting. If you actually look at the whole, if you just look at the U.S., do you know that we spend on average $24 billion, with a B a year on leadership training in our U.S. companies? And I think the leadership industry has done a huge disservice, what we're listening to. Because let me ask everybody out there listening, would you look at your company and what you're seeing on, you know, out in the world, and do you think we have a leadership crisis? I believe that we really do. Yeah, I agree. And here's what we all focus on. And this is what we've been taught. It's all about your vision, your mission, your purpose. It's all about your why, your what, and your how. And all of those are incredibly important. What is underlying that that we don't talk about, because it's harder to talk about and it takes some effort, and that is who you are. What is the difference between that person you see in the mirror and that best version of yourself? Because the biggest thing that tears apart an organization and, and, and just destroys human performance is comparing ourselves to others. Mm. What we need to do, what I realized I had to learn to do is compete with that best version of myself. Yeah. Because Tracy, let's say I wanted to go out and be a public speaker. You would just tell me about a woman you're working with and she showed up and she was nervous and she was shaky and her confidence really wasn't there, but she had this amazing message on her heart, right? You could tell her what to do and how to do it. You're, you're amazing at the coaching that you do. And she could have gone up and kind of faked it till she maked it, mm -hmm. right? What I know, and I know it's how you work. You you, I'll guarantee you, if I was a fly on the wall, which I wasn't, you helped this person connect with who she really was, why this was important to her, this message, sharing it with somebody else, what did it do in the life of that person? Because then all of a sudden it takes the spotlight off of me and that worry about, you know, that's where the nervousness comes from, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm worried about me and how I look versus Am I communicating in a way that moves somebody to action that helps them change? And that's what you did. Because I could take your best training on breathing and stage presentation and how to use my voice and go up in front of a huge crowd and epically fail. Yeah, 100%. Right? 
hundred percent. Or if I got a business mentor, one of the most successful entrepreneurs you can imagine. Let's say one of the sharks from Shark Tank said, John, we're going to sit down and I'm going to mentor you every week for the next year. I'd be like doing backflips. I could take one of their best advice around business, but if I was running that through a flawed person, I am not going to get their results or the results of maybe other people they'd mentored. And what I realized was in this process myself is becoming that best version of yourself or even just becoming a better version of yourself a little bit. That was the key for me to unlocking that sense of purpose, that why. It's like the path, like the fog cleared. And I knew exactly, maybe not the destination, not exactly what the whole thing looked like, but the clarity I had on where I was, where I wanted to go, and just what that next small step was for today. And then as I got into coaching and working with leaders with my experience, coming out of the accident, Tracy, I could literally work eight to 10, 12 hours a week on a good week. Um, I was in chronic pain. Um, financially, I'd literally been zeroed out and I had a, almost a million dollar lien against me for medical bills. Remember, we had just started that new company. Um, my network was completely dormant. I'd virtually been in a bed for two years and I couldn't work. I could not work full time. I couldn't go back and work at the company I was at. So like, what do you do? Um, I could have just sat there and rolled over and despaired, but I just prayed into it. And I, and I heard God say, I want you to equip and inspire leaders to accomplish what I've inspired in them. I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. What does that look like? I had no idea. But that was, that was on a weekend. Like when I was sitting there and yet recovering from a whole shoulder reconstructive surgery and it's hard for me to move around. I was that I've heard that. And then uh, a friend came to visit a couple of days later and CEO of a company. He said, you know, here's what's going on in my life. I have like these three pillars, business, my personal life and being a husband and father. And then also my faith and my work in the community. Philanthropy is really important to him, but whatever I focus on does well and the other two languish. And I feel like I'm constantly running around spinning plates and, and, and I'm just, he was at that place. I said, are you like, I called it smoldering discontent. He goes, dude, that's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, a scale of one to 10, 10 being like fully alive on purpose, everything just hitting on all eight cylinders and one being barely hanging on. Where do you think you're at? And this guy externally was one of the most successful people, good looking guy, great family. He goes, I'm about a three. Mm -hmm. I said, I get it. I think when I actually looked at that, I would have to say before my accident, I was probably closer to a two. But then he said to me, he goes, John, you need to be a coach. And if you become a coach, I'll be your first client. Because you'd be great at this. And I said, ah, oh, that's awesome, Greg. What's a coach? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. So I went and hired a coach. I went and hired a coach. And that's actually got me into what I'm doing now. And, but here's what I found, Tracy, is this journey I was on. Understand what is my true north? What is, what is that guiding thing? Whether it's your faith. Whether it's your self-identity, I realized my identity, which is this culmination of all of our experiences and what's happened to us, what's been said to us, there was a number of things that I had let in to my brain that were not true. Mm -hmm. There were lies about who I was, 
what I was good at, what I was not good at, that I ex- that I had accepted as truths about me. And they were operating in the background and coloring how I showed up in all kinds of different situations. I was completely unaware of it. My marriage, business, as a leader, everything. So, you know, if you think about, when, you know, when... Uh, when you uh, when you're flying on an airliner, Tracy, and you're up there and you're at cruise altitude and the and the autopilot's on, right? And you're kicking back, having a soda. What percent of time do you think that airplane's on course? What would be your guess? I would think all the all of it, 100%. all of it. Well, you would like to think that. Oh, what don't tell I, me. <laughs> what if I told you it's less than three percent of the time? Wow. Now think about this turbulence when you're feeling that in the airplane. Yeah. Those are big wind gusts outside the airplane. Those are gusts, wind blowing against the airplane. So it's constantly happening. The engines are turning. The people are walking up and down the aisle. That airplane is constantly being thrown off balance and pushed off course. But the autopilot has to know three things and able to bring the airplane back on course. Right. So a pilot, you're constantly monitoring that. Now it's up to us to take responsibility for all of our own actions and make and consistently make those course corrections in our own life. But that autopilot needs three things. The first one is that true north I just told you about. It has to know a navigational reference. We need the same thing in our life. The second thing it knows is now think about it. You grab your phone, right? I'm an iPhone guy and you grab your Apple Maps or Google Maps and you, you're, you're leaving the grocery store and you can go run an errand. First thing you do is put in the destination, right? It's the first thing you do. Mm-hmm. That app is useless to get you somewhere if you don't know that. Mm-hmm. And here's the question is, in our own life, what is that destination? What is that mission on? There's been times in my life where I was, I was pursuing with all my effort, a worthwhile goal or dream. Like when I was in the Navy to get my gold wings, it was very hard. We talked about even, you know, before this podcast, right? It's a very challenging environment. The next thing that autopilot has to know is exactly where you are at. Because think about it. If you ever walked out, you, you put in the destination, but your phone hasn't really synced up yet, doesn't know exactly where you're at, and takes you off the wrong side of the parking lot, and then takes you the wrong way on a one-way, and you're like, oh, man, I just added eight minutes to my trip, and now I'm late. Mm-hmm. We have to know where we're at also. We have to figure out where we're at, our mindsets, our values, our passion, our strengths. And there's this place called what I call convergence. And that's where all of these elements came together for me, Tracy, in a place that showed me not only where I wanted to go, why I wanted to go there, but how to get there and, be, and, and how to be the best person as I did all that. And through that, I was able for myself to develop what I call just a, a personal flight plan. I knew every day, what is that small thing I needed to do each day? And then I realized um, as I was working with some clients a few, just a few years ago, that, that this whole process that I discovered that had led me to such a beautiful place, a place like more of a nine out of 10 than a two out of 10, um, is how I'd been working with clients for years. One of my friends says, John, you have to put this down in a book so other people can learn from you, A, without having to maybe hire a coach or <laughs> at the least not have to get thrown into a fence. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole <laughs> origin behind why I wrote the book. 
And the book is, and I want to talk about the book, but I, what, everything you just said, you just, you just deliver, John. Every time you come on this show, you just deliver. I need to well, unpack you're such a good coach, Tracy. <laughs> well, I want to unpack just a couple of things that you said, because I know my audience can relate so much. And then I want to talk about the book. I, I love everything you said. And I love your comment about comparison and about finding who we are. And I, what I heard you say, and tell me if I'm wrong, but... I feel like so much of this is about undoing what the world said we had to do. It is. It really is. Because think about it. Um, when you look in the mirror and that person that you see, and then, you know, it was interesting. I, I was actually sitting down um, with my coach and I said, I, as I was coming out of this and I said, I have to figure out how I'm wired. And then I can figure out what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And he goes, well, why don't you ask yourself um, a different question? He goes, why don't you ask yourself how God wired you? And what did he wire you for? And for me, that completely shifted the conversation in my head. And I realized that, you know what, the person who God sees is that perfect person who's equipped right now. And if you're not a person of faith, then still think about it. What is that person you were when you were young before some of these influences came in your head? As an example, I, was, uh, I got out of the Navy and I had a really good corporate job and I was doing well. And I got invited by a good friend of mine to start a company with him. And he had never graduated college. And, and he wasn't really well-liked by certain people in my family. I don't really want to mm. name certain names. But mm. when I said I'm dropping out of this corporate job to go be an entrepreneur with my buddy, I had members of my family literally break down in tears. Tell me I will never succeed as an entrepreneur. How dare you put your family at risk? You will fail. I'm embarrassed for you. I'm embarrassed of you. I was abs. I was sitting there with my wife. This is a dinner table. Absolutely floored. I didn't even know how to process it. Mm -hmm. Now, guess what? None of that was true. Right. But it was said to me by people who, whether you have a great relationship or not, you still want their, you value their opinion. Even if you say you don't, guess what? It still got in. And what happened, Tracy, is I went into that relationship and that business not trying to succeed and be the best entrepreneur I can, but trying to prove that person wrong. Yeah. And in doing that, I made decisions that, that ruined a friendship and blew up a company. That was a dark period. So yeah. this isn't just from a spiritual place. We have to realize we have let stuff in. Yeah. And the only way to get it out, I think, is to really get around people who've processed through weeding out some of that stuff that is absolutely, just ask yourself one question, simple question. What might be for you listening right now, slowing you down toward where you want to go or maybe standing in your way or what is just flat stopping you? And if you're being honest with yourself, when I sit down with a client and we go through this exercise, I almost always have to ask that question three, five, seven times 
to land on something that's at really actionable. Because usually that first thing that popped into your head is pretty surface. It's easy to admit. Mm-hmm. What I found was getting to a place of just extreme vulnerability with myself or finding people in my life that I can trust enough to be vulnerable with. To say, I don't know what the problem is, but in this situation with my wife or in these kind of situations at work, I blow it every time and I've read every book and I've done this, Mm -hmm. but it is not serving me well. But you're right. We have to, and that's what this whole book unpacks is exactly how I did that because it's not quick, but it is is incredibly achievable and it doesn't create, it's not like this huge discipline program. For me, I'm, I'm not a super disciplined guy, but it's about what each day, what are some of those just small steps? If I'm at a two out of 10 or my friend was at a three, my whole focus was going from a two to a three. Mm-hmm. Like, what are those small steps I need to do? And we've come up with a saying here for our family, and that is excellence is the standard, but grace is the word. Because mm-hmm. I am going to mess up. I am going to fall into old habits. I am going to make some progress and then absolutely just throw a grenade into something. Mm-hmm. And I have to be willing to forgive myself because it is frustrating. I did get angry, but I looked at every, you know, when we talked about competing with the best version of ourselves, mm-hmm. a, f- a friend of mine taught me how to do that. He, he's a performance coach. He works with some of the most elite professional athletes, LeBron James, Roy McIlroy, I mean, that level. Mm-hmm. He's the one that talked to me, talked to me about um, comparisons or the big cancer for performance. Mm-hmm. But he said, it didn't matter what the outcome is. Ask yourself two questions. First one, in that, what did you do well? Is there anything in there you did well? Maybe what I just did well is in the middle of it, even though I couldn't stop myself because I was like a stupid freight train but I was aware of that I was mm-hmm. off track. For me, that, that was an improvement. Yeah. Number two, and he, would, he started having me do this. What are 10 things that you learned in that, good or bad? He wouldn't work with his clients unless they had a journal filled out, 10 things that they have learned in detail since the last time they met. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, because what that does, that forces you not to compare, but it forces you to say, okay, how do I identify myself that next small thing I need to work on? But yeah, it's a process because we have let all this stuff in Tracy. Yeah. And you know what? Why? I mean, just look at this. The, I mean, you look at Gallup and all the data in U.S. companies. Like, why are so many people actively disengaged? Look at our mental health. It's, it's, oh, it's yeah. really bad right now mm-hmm. as a country. The level of depression, you look at people that self-report that they're connected to a sense of purpose. And when you are, your numbers are off the chart good, mm-hmm. but it's less than 10% of people that self-report that they're even connected to a purpose. So I think what I'm doing, my hope is right to create a movement to connect people to that sense of purpose and live a life where, I, you know what? I lay there in bed at night and I actually dream about what could be versus my head spinning around regrets of what has happened. Yeah. So powerful. So powerful. And I, I, I call them the lies of the mind mm-hmm. and they, they, they damage people's voices profoundly, but in this work, 
you've said so many great things, but in this work, I hear this as working from the inside out versus the outside in. And I think that is the critical piece here in maybe what you mean by on purpose, with purpose. It's not looking out to see what the world says I need to do. It's totally different than that. Is that, and that's the name of the book. On purpose, yep, on with, purpose, purpose. with purpose, discovering how to live your best life. And you nailed it, Tracy. What I discovered was your inner game mm-hmm. determines your outer game. Yeah. If you want, you know, higher business growth, your finances to change, better relationships with your family, career satisfaction. I've, I have seen people who connect to their own purpose. There's, you know, their values, their passions, their strengths, you know, that convergence as it comes together. I've seen people go through this process and there's kind of three typical outcomes. I take my life as it is right now and I don't change anything. I don't change my business card or my address, but I understand why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do. And now I'm actually working in an area of my strengths and my entire life just up levels because I'm bringing a different mindset and context into what I'm already doing. Other people realize that, you know what, I can have fulfillment with what I'm doing, but there's something missing. And I'm going to go fill that with something on the side, maybe work harder on my marriage, maybe spend time with this cause, maybe really make it a focus to just completely transform the relationship with my kids because they're not talking to me. And that would just move me up another notch. And then other people, we've gone through this whole process and they realize I am... my, I am not on purpose with what I'm doing with my life and I'm making a pivot. So I don't want people to hear that go through this process and it leads to a pivot. I had to make a pivot because I was forced to. Mm-hmm. And then I had to make the best of it. Um, but there's literally infinite possibilities. But when you're on purpose, that informs you how to do the right thing in the right way in the right timing. And in the present, what I have found for myself, the amount of peace of mind that that gives me is incredible. Like you're seeing me right now, if I was on video, I'm on oxygen. I had severe COVID. I was in the ICU. I've been literally, my heart and lungs are torn up. Not what I expected right now going into 2021. Yeah. Um, What has, it hasn't surprised me, but what's been really Neat to see is that I've been able to go through a season like this when nothing looks, when there's no rosy outcomes from anything external and anything the doctors are telling me with honestly just a deep abiding peace and a joy because I get to talk to people like you. (laughs) I get to meet people I would have never talked to before had I not, you know, had something like this. So everything all works. Everything works together for something good. It really, really does. And I think that is profoundly simpler, even though it may not seem like it, when we do what I call bring the tentacles in. Mm. I call it tentacles out versus tentacles in. And, and I love what you were talking about, about worth. I think that is so, there's so much there. When I'm trying to get my worth from people in the world or that whole comparison thing, that's a losing game because we're worthy because we are. Well, think about what you're really doing there. You're giving control of your mental health 
to somebody else. Now imagine if uh, and maybe we've done this, I've done this. So, you know, you have a little two-year-old that's having just being difficult. And have you ever heard a parent yell at him? You, you make me so angry. Think about what I just said there. If I break it down as an adult, I'm giving complete control of my emotions yeah. to a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And I, it, it was a process to take responsibility of what I think, yeah. what I feel, and the actions that I take. But when I, what I realized was, like even getting into public speaking, and I know you do a lot in this world, right? I was scared to death what people would think. I was giving control to an audience, giving control to maybe the meeting planner mm. of my, uh, how I saw myself and my worth based on their feedback. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it did not feel good. And I'd been doing this work already. Mm-hmm. Now with that, re- when I started doing more speaking, Tracy, I realized, you know what? I, I guess I have farther, I've come a long way, but I have farther to go than I realized. Mm-hmm. But here's the good thing is then I was aware of it. And I did some work with Michael Port, if you know him at Heroic mm-hmm. Public Speaking. Mm-hmm. And I shared this with him. I said, here's what's going through my mind. Well, and he said, he said, um, John, it's simple. And I've gotten this advice in my past. I forgot it. Um, he goes, John, if you are showing up and your only concern is you rehearse and you create this message and this idea to move people to action is to add value to them and serve them the best that you can in the moment, then it's about them. Mm-hmm. And it's not about you at all ever. Now, when you're nervous, it should be nervous because you're going up on the stage and you want to communicate in a way that makes it as accessible to them as possible versus look the best that you can. Right. Right. And that's, and you know what, it's just, but you know, like this is a team sport, Tracy, like, thank goodness I had somebody to go ask that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you and I have had conversations about how to communicate better. Uh, It's just, I don't know. There's just so much fun we can have, but there's all these little things that get stuck in our operating system. Some of them we're uh, conscious of and some, and most of the ones though that are holding us back, we're not, but there's a way to identify what those are and recreate. Literally when you do that, you actually create habits and you create neural pathways that reinforce this stuff. By the way, it's not, that's why habits are hard. Right. We have to create new grooves. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I, I I actually cover it in my book, but another book just on habits I'd recommend by Charles Duhigg is called The Power oh, of yes. Habits. Amazing Phenomenal book. book. If you're really struggling with different issues, whether it's anger, overeating, any kind of addictions, uh, being a workaholic, I mean, this book was was a big was super helpful to me. I've read it a number of times and. And I share my key takeaways from that book of how I took that. And that's really what the book is. All the stuff that I've synthesized, how I actually applied it in all these different areas of my life. So So in the book, that's what you're teaching. I mean, obviously, every ounce of your story brought you to that book, to write that book. Yeah, basically, at the end of the day, what I'm teaching people is A, how to uncover, peel back all the layers so you can actually see who that best version of yourself is, mm-hmm. and then go meet them. 
or her. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, what I, what I know, cause I've seen it in so many people I've worked with in that process, as you close that gap, you will connect to your purpose. It will be clear what you should be doing and why, and then you can figure out the how. And I do a lot of work with, with people on that. But when you have that clear and you're in the present and you have clarity about what's important, mm-hmm. about who I am and the journey I'm on personally and where I'm going, and you know that every day all of these are coming together, even if it's just little bits at a time, it is a different place in your head. It is a place that's just fun. Yeah. Well, and something else you said that I know is really valuable for my listeners is when you're, when you're talking about showing yourself grace, Mm. allowing yourself to be human. And that's part of finding your purpose. Is it? It is. And you know, for me, the, actually the harder part of that was showing other people grace. Mm. You know, those people that always annoy you. Yeah. Those people, they just start talking and you roll your eyes. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how some of that stuff came across and was very hurtful to others. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of these people that in my life, some of these relationships and both, you know, at work and, you know, in my family areas, um, I just thought that that was who they were and they're just annoying, right? Mm -hmm. They're the people I'd never want to hang out Mm -hmm. with. And then I uh, realized, I asked myself a question once. I said, what have I done to actually create this dynamic? Mm-hmm. And because you know what? We, we judge ourselves, I think, by um, our, our motives mm-hmm. and our intentions. And we, and we judge, so we give ourselves that grace, I think, a lot. But um, other people, we judge them by what we think their agenda is. And mm-hmm. it's, it's this double standard mm-hmm. that I think we ought often do. I know I've done it, right? Like if I'm, you know, short and sarcastic to you one day, I'm like, well, I was just having a bad, isn't really no big deal. But if you're short and sarcastic to me, I might have a completely different <laughs> internal reaction, right? right? Like that person is a, you know, uh-huh. right. So, uh-huh. but we, I, I mean, but if you actually look at a lot of this is rooted um, in emotional intelligence, right? The first yeah. step is, is not only self, is self-awareness, Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. Second step is then self-regulation, self-management. But in that, and here's something really encouraging to everybody. Stanford Graduate School did a study, and they want they looked at people from Steve Jobs, you know, really kind of very aggressive, but also introverted. Uh, uh, you know, across they looked at leaders across business, military, uh, religion, uh, nonprofits, and they said, is there a common denominator? extroverts, introverts, gregarious, aggressive, whatever it happened to be. And they said, yeah, the, there is one thing that they found that was a common trait of all the best leaders that they studied. And that was self-awareness. Hmm. Because unless you really understand yourself and you've actually gone on a journey like this, and I think what it means, is, especially in this busy Mach 5 over-caffeinated world that we live in, and even though a lot of it's remote right now, I don't think the pace of work has slowed mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. I really think to get a different result, you're going to have to slow down 
in order to speed up. Mm-hmm. Now, it might sound counterintuitive, but we have to slow down and really get in touch with really who we are at our best and what that means. Then we can bring that out. But if we're busy being busy being busy, as I asked some, a client the other day, because they were talking about how just they were so busy, they couldn't work on their marriage and their relationship with their kids. And my question is, was that your goal? Mm-hmm. Was that your goal in all this? You've been working at this career for 15 years. Was that your goal 15 years in to be so busy? Mm-hmm. You tell me this stuff is important. Is there any evidence other than your words that it actually is important? And I get it because I've been there. I've, I've said the same words. I've done the exact same thing. Because I think we have to challenge ourselves and say, are we really living in some of our, you know, if we say family is a value, right. but I'm never home, either A, it is a value and I'm probably causing myself some pretty massive stress and anxiety, or it really isn't a value. And we just need to be honest with ourselves, figure out what those values are so we can really live with some integrity. Well, self-integrity. I didn't even know there was such a thing as self-integrity. I was super integral to the world, yeah. but then, but wasn't integral to myself. And that's so critical. Mm-hmm. So critical. Well, uh, it's an, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an amazing book. I, I'm so excited about you sharing your brilliance with the world because I think that, I think people feel pressure to find this purpose. I've got to find this purpose. And I, I don't know, you're much more of the expert in this area than me, but I worry that people seek in the wrong ways. They, they, they have this pressure to find this purpose, but the way they're going about finding their purpose, they may not ever find it. I, I you know, I agree. Cause I think that's what I did. Right. If I yeah. don't really have that clarity, yeah. and it's actually not that hard to get the clarity. So what I did, what I did is I think you just, I worked harder. I tried to overcompensate. Yes. I tried to make guesses and then work super hard in different areas and throw time and energy and effort at things. And I think that's why I just kept this down roll, downward spiral to that place of smoldering discontent because I wasn't throwing my energy into anything that would really move me, me really move me and my life forward. So yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And you talk about all of this in the book. Yes, ma'am. Sure do. And it's on purpose with on purpose. purpose with purpose and, and beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. You can find all the information there. And, and anybody that buys the book and then leaves us a review on Amazon after April 27th, when it comes out, just let us know. There'll be a link on the, the website. Well, when the audio book comes out, which we're in production, um, we're going to send you a free copy of it, um, which is a great value. If you just simply um, left us a review on Amazon, we would truly appreciate it. I would. Oh, yeah, for sure. And can they pre-order? Are you doing a pre-order? Yeah, or no? you can pre-order right now. We've had, okay. uh, we've had a ton of pre-orders. People are pre-ordering. I just found out later, yesterday, it's really neat. You know, they've read like a, a part of an advanced copy, but they're ordering 25, 50, 100 copies for their whole company to give out to all their their employees. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's really fun what's happening right now, Tracy. It's kind of, it's, it's exciting. I tell you. Yeah. I'm thinking about doing that myself. I think, I think that would you be should. Incredible I think that gift. is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send, I'll give that to all my guests. 
and all my staff. There I you think. go. Yeah. There's yeah, if you go to Amazon.com right now, okay. Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, any place that you prefer okay. to buy a book from, um, you can buy it right now and pre-order it. Okay. That's awesome. And I have to tell you, I mean, you are you're always full of golden nuggets, but it, you literally said something today that is the best thing I've ever heard in my entire existence. The tyranny of they. Mm. Oh, that is What's above gold, John? Is that platinum? I mean, is that like triple platinum? I don't know. But that is, for my people, that is the struggle. Yeah. I cannot use my voice because what will they They, think? And they couldn't give a crap. No, they're not even thinking about you. (laughs) They're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Yeah. Yeah, like think of like watching American Idol. Yeah. And here's a, uh, let's say a young lady comes up and she's just amazing. You're like, that's awesome. And then another young lady comes up and she's not as good. And then do I dwell on that? Do I go tweet about that? I mean, yeah, there's some trolls that do, Mm -hmm. but should she care? No, if you actually watch some of these shows, the one thing that their coaches focus on is them showing up prepared. You know what? And people that are in the speaking world, and this is no different than anything else. If you want to show up as your best self, you have to rehearse. When a friend of mine told me that he puts 40 hours of rehearsal in, if he's going to do a new speech, if it's an hour keynote, that is his minimum. I had never done that in my life. I would make a PowerPoint and I would run through it because those were my talking points. And when I actually understood what true professionals do to communicate a message to an audience in a way that makes it accessible to the entire audience, that puts it in the context so that they can understand it, and then they have makes the choice for them to either take action or not, but it allows them to do that without feeling right or wrong, it takes work. Yeah. And the more that I rehearse and the more that I rehearse and the more that I practice and the more that I read, when I show up, I can focus on serving the folks versus trying to compensate in the moment and do and, and be better myself. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because really it is, it's about them. When we can work from the place of what can I say that will serve you? Versus what can I say because I want to say it and it's going to make me look good. That changes the whole game. Yeah. It's like, uh, think of some of those people that you really admire as you watch maybe some certain Ted talks or speaking, because they tell a story in a way that you're, you are, you can put yourself in the story completely Mm -hmm. or those other people that tell a story and they just feel like it's all about them. Mm Mm-hmm. When I show up and I'm coming from that place where it's kind of about me, mm-hmm. those are the times when they are probably not going to like me. And in that moment, that feedback is going to be really helpful to me. Um, we, you know what? In, in this, with your audience, we should, we should just do a, a topic on just when you are out there and communicating, how do you actually... Um, solicit and get feedback that really helps you. This is probably something you've already talked about, but I've had to be very careful with that. 
Like uh, just as a quick example, I won't go do like a little sample of a story or a bit or even a chunk of the speech and ask people, what did you think? Oh, right. I'll ask them. I'm very specific. Like, what am I working on? I'll say, okay, what was the point of that story? Mm -hmm. Did you feel what emotions did you feel as I told that story in the different parts? I want to see if I'm actually communicating what I'm hoping as I crafted this. Or I'll share us, you know, the opening part of my speech and I'll say, you know, what do you think the big idea of this speech is as you heard that part? And it's, then I hear from people I'm like, I think it's this and this and it's all over the map. I'm like, okay, I got some work to do. Mm-hmm. Or I'll share the ending with them. And I feel, man, I just feel like I'm not really landing the plane. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important for us when we're communicating when, and, and it's with people we trust, we value their input. And it's no different for me and also this whole realm of self-development. Some of those areas I'm working on showing up better with my wife, with my kids in business and what I do on the podcast, there's people I will solicit their feedback and I'll very be very specific um, about things that I know I need to be working on. Yeah, no, that's great advice for sure. For sure. Well, John, this has been great. I know I got to let you go. I know you've got things to do and and I could sit here and talk to you all day. I'm going to have to have you. Maybe you should be a series regular instead of this every four years kind of thing. Okay, let's do that. And How you need you? to come back on too on, on uh, eternal leadership. Oh, I loved being let's on that Let's do that. Show. Okay, we'll make yeah. that happen, Tracy. We'll make that happen. And we literally, you have so much wisdom to share. I feel kind of... I feel like I've dropped the ball a little bit by not making you a series regular. I, I, I we've got to do that. We've got to okay, do that. Done. You're up for that. You okay. got to deal. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tracy, keep knocking them alive. You're the best. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And as always, gosh, so much wisdom. And I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. And I want everybody to go out there and pre-order that book right now. And I'm going to be pre-ordering that and, and sending those out like, like crazy because so much value from this man. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. And thank you for being you. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy. I so appreciate that. And I just always have really um, been grateful for just how you've connected with me and helped me and, and been there. And it's been too long since I've been on the podcast, but I, I've just loved getting to know you. Yeah. Well, I feel the same. Okay. Well, thanks again, John. And thank you listeners for being here. And until next time, get out there and speak your truths. Just do it beautifully. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab the voice formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. 